Well, good day. I'm Mark Sylvester, your host for this 805 Conversation, where we talk to fascinating people you'll want to know better. If this is your first time listening, thanks for coming. The 805 Conversations podcast is produced every other week. Please subscribe so you don't miss any upcoming shows. Our show is sponsored by California Lutheran University School of Management and Tolman and Weicker Insurance Services. Thanks to them both for their support and continued encouragement. And thanks to my podcasting partner and co-host, Patrick, from Pull String Press for this great studio. Good morning, Patrick. Hi, Mark. It's exciting to be back on the microphone. I was thrilled to get to spend a little time with your gorgeous, smart, clever, inquisitive daughter. Thank you. Thank you. It was it was one of her highlights of the day was to, was to get to learn how to make the pop noise with the yes. bottle. Yes. Who knew that a m- bottle of maple syrup could provide so much joy? I was so impressed with your, your granddad gear that you were just so quick to be like, I there's something on this table to entertain a two-year-old. Yes. And you so quickly took... In an inanimate object and turned it into an entire game that that just made her giggle. So good. That was it. Was a joy and the yeah. sole reason for me coming. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. And back in the studio for his second appearance because he's so clever himself is Kevin Burke. Kevin, uh, welcome. You're with Burke Wealth Management. That's correct. And a longtime friend. How are you? Wonderful. How are you? I'm thrilled to have you back. There's we, you know, we talk about business, we talk about finances, and I think there's this this area that um, doesn't really get talked a, a lot about, which is how do we manage our personal finances? And you've been doing that for how many years? Thirty two. Not to just explicitly, how many days? <laughs> <laughs> well, let's there. see. October fifteenth. I'm, you know, I'm curious because we didn't get into this last time. Um, when, tell me the minute or the second you've been through our story coaching. So let's see how well you do on this. Um, that, what was the setting like when you decided this is how you wanted to spend the next 32 years of your life? Do you remember? I do remember. Uh, I was living in Woodland Hills, Mm. so it's a very wealthy community. Um, however, I lived with a single mom and so we were anything but wealthy. In fact, we were probably below poverty line. And I would like to tell you that I didn't know it at the time, but I did know it because everybody around us had money. How old were you? Uh, seven, eight yep. years old. When I first kind of realized, well, my, my mother was divorced, my parents divorced, and I lived yep. with my mom. This is back in the early 70s. And um, so that's not when I decided to be a, an advisor. But she became aware of the role of money. Correct. In fact, in fourth grade, my best friend was Kenny Rogers' son. I haven't seen him since then, but, you know, I would walk home, and he would have a limo come up and, and pick him up. So that was the, the disparity between me and everybody around me. And so money always fascinated me. What are stocks? What are bonds? How do you buy real estate? How do you invest? What does all of that mean? So I saw it happening around me, but my mom had no idea uh, about anything like that. So it always interested me. Do you think it was a strength to be in juxtaposition to that amount of wealth? Do you think, you know, because we, we think about this with our with our daughter all the time about like, are we going to place her in a, in a, in a like if we were going to position her into a private school where she is up against, uh, you know, mega, mega wealthy people, but in the same school with them, is that a strength because it puts you in a, in a you understand a language or is it, or is it really just really hard? In retrospect, I'm glad it worked out the way it worked out because I see some of my friends who relied on the inheritance they would someday receive and 
never really worked that hard. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, mm-hmm. that's that's probably too broad a phrase to apply to everybody. However, for me, I think it was helpful to be in that position. Yes. You knew what you didn't have. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So at some point in this story, there was a snap, right? There was this something change, something unusual happened. What was mm-hmm. that? So in 1986, I had a, we had a good family friend uh, we, we were in the same church, and he worked for E.F. Hutton. Nowadays, people, younger people don't know that name, but at the time, we all knew the, the jingle, right? And he made lots of money, lived in a big house, drove the biggest Mercedes you could buy, and he was a really nice man. We became good friends, and one day he says, you know what, I think you'd be good at this. What did he see in you? Uh, I have no idea. What do you think Ma- it was? Pro- probably, well, I guess integrity. Okay. Uh, he no doubt saw that and thought I was reasonably intelligent yep. and could figure it out. Um, and even, uh, it's funny, off off topic, but when I was in fifth grade, my, my teacher says, Kevin, have you ever thought about going into politics? Mm. <laughs> so apparently I, you know, right. was sure. uh, good in conversation you know, it, or whatever. It, it means being able to deal with people. Okay. That's what, being politic. Being politic, yeah. Being politic yeah. is, we've, I think that word has lost its juice, but being politic is being able to work with people and listen to people mm-hmm. and empathize with people and care about people, truly being politic. What is it that you need to have happen? And that's politics, is managing what people need to have happen. Yeah. Well, at the risk of sounding corny, that really does, I feel strongly about what you just said. You know, how do we help people? Yeah. So when I hear people say, oh, I could sell ice cubes to Eskimos, I think that's really kind of terrible. That's not something to <laughs> right. brag about. Not helpful. It, right. No, helping yeah. people to, to get something that they actually do need, mm-hmm. that's honorable. Yeah, but selling absolutely. Something, to, some, something that people don't need, that's terrible. So the snap was, and what was it, your friend's name? Bill. So Bill, and how, got, how old were you guys? 23. He You're, was in his mid-40s. And had you gone to college? No, not at that point. Okay. I was I was in college, but okay. not finished. You hadn't figured. What, did you know this is what you wanted to do? What were you? What was your major? Well, it was such a. Well, I was in theology, but okay. it was such a. Uh, I, I was taking CPA classes because I it I thought it interested me, but really religion was what I was mostly interested in, and so uh, it seemed like such an impossible dream to live the life that he lived mm. that that really really wasn't on my radar up to that point. How would I ever break into that world? I knew nothing about it. The world you had seen that existed like that was an inherited world. It wasn't an earned world. It wasn't a world that you could good point. find a, a door to. Yeah, it was you. Right. I mean, I'm just I'm thinking about yeah. your example that you laid out. And it's like you didn't you didn't have a friend who was like, oh, and and they made some intelligent choices, did a bunch of research right. and then moved into this yeah. wealth category. Right. Their parents had their parents, but had. Not my friends. Right. right. Yeah. 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 Right. An, op- an opaque thing for a child to see. Exactly. So so Bill has you know, you see Bill, he, did he become a mentor for you? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, in fact, what ended up happening in answer to your question is that one day he says to me, look, I think you'd be good at this. Tell you what, you take all the classes, get all the licenses. If you pass, I'll pay. Huh. And if you don't pass, you pay. Huh. And I said, okay. And so I took all the classes, and he actually was thinking of, le- well, he ended up leaving, was thinking of leaving E.F. Hutton and starting his own shop. And that's part of what, you know, brought this conversation up is he and thought I could work for him. And he had this in the back of his mind. I'm going to do a little training. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And I'm going to get a guy, which is clever. So when you think about that, you're trying to get people right out of college. In fact, if you can meet them when they're interning between junior and sophomore year 
and then you can help guide them through. They then they do their first year of post-grad work on the job. So it's funny you say that. I've never thought of it that way, but I think you're exactly <laughs> That's right. What That's what happened. <laughs> you thought, oh, this is really good advice from a nice friend. Yeah, oh, exactly. he, he groomed me for this. That's uh, called, I'm a little slow, That's clearly. called farm club, <laughs> right? And that's how that works. That's yeah. what we did at Wayfront. Yeah. We, we made relationships with the professors at top architectural schools across the country because architects learn about shape and form and design. They also learn the critical thing in computer graphics. They learn lighting. They learn how to light masses. Hmm. And as it turned out, and they're systems thinkers. So those turned out to be really good people to bring into a computer animation software company. Yeah. So we would, you know, me, made relationships with the professors and our head of engineering as well, my co-founder. And we got pick of the litter all the time. Hmm. So Love it. we, now though you said, I'm going to do this, there's a struggle. In any good story, there's a struggle. Mm-hmm. So you now have to decide, do I want to do this? And what's that going to mean in terms of buckling down, getting good grades and the struggle of call to deep It's not theology. No, it's, it's not just, the, you, yeah. you went from completely different. Yeah, you yeah. went from from living in a world where uh, you were thinking and studying these these you know great texts and these great ideas around humanity and the way you live life to something very much more nuts and bolts, much more uh, strategy driven. Mm-hmm. I would imagine. Yes. Yeah. Well, actually, I'd, at some point, I'd like to address that because there was a period in my career where I really didn't like it. Yeah. Uh, over the these thirty two years, about the middle ten years, I didn't like it because it felt shallow and vain and materialistic and all those things and i missed that from so that was the real struggle in the middle of my career probably was that's the biggest the, struggle that's the real struggle how, how did you what did that look like on a daily basis well i i started other businesses i actually bought other businesses i i did ah. other things along the way because i was trying to find some way to support my family besides this this career that at the time felt very meaningless hmm. and so you know just kind of trying kind of whatever I could do. But I, but I had to put food on the table, and what I was doing was working. So I did, you know, that, that middle 10 years, I just kept, kept trying. So, dear listener, has this ever happened to you? <laughs> huh. Right? Think, think about that. You, you, you're on a path. Then the, in our hero's journey, right, someone comes in and says, oh, young Padawan, this is the path. You go down that path, and you're along it, and then you're like, Hmm, maybe this wasn't the right road. So now we You I hear the thing where you start doing the uh, you're washing the dishes instead of doing homework. Where it's like you start these other businesses because it's like, well, maybe I'll find some meaning in this right. and then I I mean because this other thing is just so just rote and just you're following your procedures. You know, it's like you're do I I don't want to say like you're squandering your time, but you're like you're out here doing these other things that don't don't it's not you're not focused on any one thing at that point and you're not feeling meaning from any one thing. And yet you're searching for all that meaning. Well, what would happen as an example is I go to these conferences and they would have you wear a lanyard and it would have my name and it would say certified financial planner, blah, blah, blah. And then there would be a little tag that they would stick on the bottom that would say what club level. And I'm doing this in air quotes. Yeah, yeah, you're yeah. In. in other words, how much production do you do? Oh, sure. Yeah. So oh. I'd go to these conferences and I'd walk up to a booth and they would eye you up and down. They'd start with your club level yep. and then they'd go up to your, your name and then they'd go to your face. <laughs> it's like the shoes. It was just – and I thought – and so if you're not the right club level, they don't even want to give you the time of day. And that was just sort of emblematic, I thought, of that uh, corner of the industry where mm. it was all about production and sales. And, and that's part of what I really didn't, really didn't like at the time. Hmm. 
So you then had, there was some shift in your thinking. What yes. was that? So uh, I'm going to say in year 20, so about 10 years ago, sure. uh, two, two parallel experiences happened. And in both cases, families came to me in their 40s and 50s, and they said, our, uh, it's funny, they're almost exactly the same, but in both cases, they said, our mom is about to do something with her money She's in her 70s, mm-hmm. and we think it's a big mistake. We don't really know. It just doesn't sound right, and we would really appreciate it if you talked to her. And in both cases, I said, okay. And so I sat down. I found out what they were going to do, do, about to do. And in fact, if they had done what they were planning, they would have been in serious trouble later in life. Mm. And in both cases, these women listened to me. And in both cases, they, they didn't proceed down that journey. And in both cases, they're still clients today. No kidding. Yeah, and it it was at that moment, all of a sudden, it was like a light bulb went off after, you know, 10, 20 years of doing this. I thought, wow, what I do is actually valuable. Mm. People, you know, if they're they're sick, they're worried, you know, they're talking about their doctor. But if they're not sick, they're really just talking about their financial advisor because that's the, the key to them not having to go back to work at age 76. Or, you know, six out of 10 American adults fear running out of money more than they fear death. And that's so, just above or below public speaking. <laughs> <laughs> it's somewhere in there. Yeah. But I just, uh, I realized just, I, I don't want to be, again, corny about it, but all of a sudden I, it occurred to me that what I do is actually a sacred trust. You know, people are just opening up their lives to oh, their advisor. your theology is showing, yeah, doctor. Well, well, it's, No, I mean, we seriously, yeah. that, that when you it. think about it, that's, it does come back to that. Yep. And I think I, that I'm, right. I'm so convinced that the way we have these business relationships are, in fact, relationships and not transactions. And what you were allergic to is the transactional nature of the job, and what you bonded to was the relational hmm. Yeah, well put. Thank aspect you. of the job, which is based on emotions that you have with the other person, which is why the storytelling is so important because that conveys emotional trust. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're so it's 2007. So I I don't need I don't need exact details, but it's 2007. That's about 12 years ago, and uh, and these two these two families come to you, and what when you say they were about to do something risky with their money or something something un, unwise with their money. What is what is something like that? Like as as a person who has a seventy three year old parent, and mm-hmm. and what is something I should be thinking about in that way? Like, what? Give me an example of what an unwise thing with your money would be in the middle of two thousand seven, right before or kind of in the midst of a huge recession that's about to you know wipe out fortunes all over the the land. So in both of these cases, I, I have to choose my words carefully. Yeah, you know, sure. yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. Because you're of asking kind of investment advice, and everybody's situation is oh, different. Oh, sure. But no, I'm looking for like, whoa, that's a terrible idea. Like yeah, they're going to so, sell the house and buy uh, an apartment building, or they're going to— Yeah, it was more of, that they were going to take all their money. They, they In both cases, a really good salesman had got there you go. H- yeah. hooks uh, in yeah. and was going to put all of their money in one specific product where it would have been locked up for many years. That seems uh, pretty safe to okay. say. Yeah, that's not and so, and, but it sounds good the way they present it. They sure. use the words guaranteed a lot, and Ooh. in both cases, uh, that was the path they were going down. So also, so as a, as a um, so, what is the credential that you hold that would be kind of slightly different, obviously, probably than that person? You're a well, I'm a certified financial planner professional, right. CFP. And so you're you're not. So what are the things that, that that you're kind of warned away from? Is saying things like guarantee, saying things like like. So you, the word guarantee can only be used in a couple of instances legally. By the way, I just want to make 
nothing that they were doing was illegal or immoral or unethical. It's just in the benefit of the salesman. You have to remember that when somebody's selling you a product for a commission, that is a by definition a conflict of interest. That person could be selling a couch at a couch store or cars on a car lot. They just happen to be selling an investment product. Mm. Or so you look great in that dress. Exactly. So, so that's different than being, you know, the word fiduciary, where you really do have to put the client's interest first. Um, selling a product is is not the same as being a fiduciary. So, so if you were looking out for something, I would I would make sure that they're not just selling a product where they get a commission. I would ask that question, mm. and are you a fiduciary? Now, sometimes, in fact, just recently, uh, I came across somebody who called themselves a fiduciary and was, in fact, selling a commissionable, pro- commissionable product. Hmm. So you still so you have do to do both. your research. Hmm. I feel like you can't really sell a product and be a fiduciary. It's, hmm. So, so make, this, sense? Yeah, 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 no, okay. clear. Very so clear. this shift in your focus, it's like, okay, I can do this job, but I'm going to frame it differently, which is what gets you out of that struggle. And then you start building your practice and thinking, what are the other things I can do? And, and you and I have had long conversations about this. And what, what has intrigued me about what you do is that I see you at the center of a family's financial ecosystem. Like you're, you, you are the guy. And, and I don't know because there's more certified financial planners in this area than you can shake a stick at you know that it's <laughs> yes. just it's a lot a of thing. good ones too a lot yeah very much so yeah. very much so um and however what's what's unique from i don't know that many of them but i never hear them think about sitting at the center and looking at everything and how that's all balanced most of them are really good with your portfolio and making sure that portfolio is going to perform for you over time but they're not thinking about all the other aspects. So give me some examples of how you do things differently and, and why you do them that way. So uh, I see this as three separate components. And the first is the core, which is asset management. And when you talk about portfolios, you know ultimately that's how advisors get paid. That's the, that's the center of it. Yep. The, the second one I'm going to call wealth management, which adds on things like budgeting, cash flow, tax mitigation. How do you get your make sure your assets go to your intended heirs? How how do you uh, give in a philanthropic way that's most effective? Are you insured properly including your house and your car and your life and long-term care and all the various things that go with that? That that would all come under wealth management. So that'd be the second core. And then the third, let's call them pillars, if the th- if third pillar would be relationship so not only do I have to have and want to have a relationship with my client, meaning I want them to know that they can call me about anything financial. Like I had a client call me not too long ago. She owns a commercial property in downtown, and she calls me and she says, do I need a business license? I, I, I don't know. <laughs> but I'm, I'm glad that she called me. And in fact, within an hour, I was able to get the answer and get back to her. So I just want people to know that they can call me about anything that comes up. I've had clients call me from the car dealership. Should I buy or lease? Can I afford this? How much should I put down? Is this a good interest rate? Just so, all those questions. So let me put the, let me phrase this in another way. Um, so the, the, this show is a business show mm-hmm. and, and all aspects, pre-business, post-business, long-term business, after business. Yeah. Um, are you kind of like the family CFO? Family CFO is a great way to describe it. And some of my clients have actually used those ex- that exact phrase. Really? Yeah. 
Yeah, because yeah. all those things you just mentioned, when uh, when Wayfront was growing up, and I think of Ed Petron, uh, may he rest in peace, I think he was the guy we went to ask every one of those questions. Mm. And, and, and for all intents and purposes, he was just keeping track of the books. You know, I mean, yeah. just the money, but he really was doing so much more. So the yeah. family CFO. Yeah. And so let me let me just finish with that relationship yeah. piece. So I have the relationship with the client. So I'll call myself the family CFO in this context. Yeah. And then, um, you know, there are other relationships that the advisor has to have. For example, how is it possible for an advisor to give advice to a client without knowing their tax status? So. As an example, tax bracket, should they buy tax-free bonds or taxable bonds? Well, you wouldn't know that without reading the tax return. Do they have carry-forward losses? Well, if I want to take gains and there are carry-forward losses, I know I can offset them. That gives me a leg up. So the list goes on and on. So in the third pillar, it's, it's the client relationship. Then I have to have a relationship with their CPA. So mm. I get the tax returns. I read them. Mm. I'm not questioning the CPA, and I am not a tax professional. But I want to understand. I have to know what's going on. Is that normal? I'm finding it's less common than you would expect. And it in fact, feels some, like a natural thing that you guys would talk to, to me too. And yet, some clients will come on board and they've never experienced that before, and they don't understand why I want to read their see their tax return. And I think, well, that's how can I do my job? Boy, yeah. I mean, it seems like it's <laughs> seems like not sharing past information with a new doctor, you know, like or right, like exactly. like like why are you going? Why would you go to this doctor if you'd be like, yeah, I'm, I don't think I'm really comfortable with you knowing about my great my analogy. digestive issues. Yeah, and it's like, analogy. well, but but <laughs> that might yeah. be leading to this other yeah. stuff. Oh, like, over oversharing. Yeah. What <laughs> medication are you on now? So I don't put you on but something yeah. else that's going to kill you. I mean, seriously, that that would be, I would see that as a huge peril of saying like, oh, I've given this person yeah. this advice. They've gone and done it. It flies in complete contrast to, to where they were positioned from last year. Yeah. You know, tax wise. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Same same true by I'm talking about the tax professional. Same is true with their estate attorney. Mm -hmm. I, need, I When I'm filling out paperwork, I'm effectively doing estate planning because because I'm asking them who I'm not doing it, but they're doing it when they tell me who they want as their beneficiary. And most people don't realize they get a trust drawn up and they don't they think it's done. So a lot of times people will get a trust drawn up and they don't realize they have to go to the bank and put the trust name on their bank account and they have to put their trust name with everything they buy. They have to their their home, of course. They don't understand that. So they're so I need to know who their beneficiaries are and and the IRA beneficiary statement uh, will outweigh or, or trump the, the trust. And many people don't realize that. They think, oh, I have a trust that's taken care of. No, you've got to think carefully about who your primary beneficiaries are, who your contingent beneficiaries are. Are there minors? There's so many questions that come in. And I'm going to guess 99.9969% of the people have no clue about any of that. Yeah. Well, and, and if someone were to say to me, I got you. I got your back. I I just like, oh, big sigh of relief. Is it, do you get that from your clients? Yeah, you've said it really well. Thank you. <laughs> right? Well, that's yeah. really what it is. It's like we are all so busy living our life and producing those funds, of which, by the way, it dawned on me that the tax return is, in fact, the dashboard, your financial dashboard. It's mm. a great phrase. Right? You are so good at coming up with these. <laughs> really. It's marketing. It's all Isn't about it? marketing. <laughs> 
No, but that's a great phrase. Maybe I should do a podcast. Financial <clears throat> financial dashboard. Yeah, it is. It is right because yeah. at the end of the day, we it's a way of measuring what you know what you did and then planning ahead. Absolutely. Well, and and, and um, CPAs. I mean, I work with lots of them. They're extremely bright and they know a lot and so forth. But for the most part, I'm going to say they're reactive, which mm. is okay. They're reacting to what you did the previous year. Yes. So my role is to be proactive mm. and to say, okay, last year this happened. Now this year. How about if we try this or that? And I, again, I communicate with the CPA and make sure he understand he or she understands. I'm not trying to take over. I just want to. I'm. I'm in. The, you absolutely do not want to do taxes. Uh, yeah, I'm not a tax. I'm not a tax <laughs> Very professional. Very clear. Not but, interested in taking that part of the exactly, job. Yeah, exactly. But you know, if we can do this differently next year, how would that work out? Right. You know, because they're they don't have time for for that. But that's, that's my job. That's the subject expert, right? That's why we always right. that's why we go yep. to the yep. chef. Yep. That's yep. why yep. we go to the yep. doctor. That's why we go to the mechanic. You still need a coach. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, if, you know, someone who who's architecting the whole thing back to the CFO bit, right? right. It's like I need someone who's make sure that all the pieces are on the board and everybody can play the game and play their position correctly by mixing metaphors all over the You're place You're really today. all over it. Right. You just, try to stay medical, maybe. I just, <laughs> just like, stay medical. Okay, well, good. Saying, well, no, 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 that's good. I'm saying you go to the ear, nose, and throat doctor. You, yeah. go to, you go to the bone doctor. And it's it's because the ear, nose, and throat doctor, because your financial, your, your personal CFO, yeah. has been reading all of the documents, all of the journals, all the latest information, yeah. all the latest instruments that are coming out, right, to focus on that stuff so you're not... If you were, you know, if you go to the ear, nose, and throat doctor and say, like, so I'm, I'm having this digestive issue, and they're going to go, like, I, we don't read those articles. You need to go talk to the, uh, the GI guy. Hence, my primary care physician. Right. I will write her and say, uh, this, this, that, and or the other. And she your... goes, I've set up a referral yeah. to go see that person, and that person knows. Okay, so let's let's just recap where we spent <laughs> our 30 minutes, because I love doing that. Um so we understand how you got started. You know, you just became aware of money sooner than most kids, I'm sure, did. Uh, you meet Bill um, in your in young 20s, and, and Bill, Bill um, uh, prepares you for a role that uh, inevitably in, eventually becomes completely dissatisfactory to you. And I think this core theological thread that has run through your whole life comes into conflict with that. Two friends, like there's a call from the universe, go help mom in these cases. And you're like, oh, that was, that's what was missing. So for the last 12 years, you've kind of figured out how to make that so both you're happy, but the relationships with uh, your clients, they're happy across these three pillars. You get all that? You've said it so well. I'm glad this is recorded because yeah. I want to listen to that it's again. It's going to be out. Oh, yeah, yeah. we're going to put it on the world. So I can repeat that. Thank you. So my, my next question then is um, because you're, you talk about planning ahead and not being reactive and looking in your rearview mirror, right? Because what I think what happens is people come to you kind of towards the middle to the end and say, hey, let's figure all this stuff out now. They're starting to think about it. We have a lot of people who listen to this show who are entrepreneurial, they're young, they're just getting started. Their big thing is, am I going to close that $4 million A round? Or am I, what am I going to do about payroll? I mean, there, there, is, there aren't enough ducats left, you know, to be worried about all of the things we've been talking about. What seed would you want to plant in their mind right now to be thinking about 
when do they bring someone like you on a personal CFO? Well, my answer would be the earlier the better so that they can start planning, you know, now rather than 10 years from now because think of the progress they might have missed. Um, the, the issue that younger people run into, and maybe not on the level you're talking about, but the issue younger— Third, Let's say 30-somethings. Well, okay, so 30-something, it depends on their asset level because what's happened in the last few years, as you probably noticed, is that asset managers or wealth managers or whatever you want to—the minimums keep going up. Right. And so now to get to many— Explain wealth, what that means. Well, in other words, you have to have, let's say, a million dollars in liquid assets to, to get to a financial planner. Okay. Or two million dollars in fun. and so somebody younger may not have that level of net worth. So how do they get the attention of uh, of a wealth manager? So that's a that's an issue I struggle with frequently. People come to me for help, and I just can't really afford to help them today. Um, and so you know the answer to your question is sooner rather than later. But but where do they go for help? That's really the kind of an issue we're sure. facing. Sure, sure, sure. Nationwide, I think right now. Where do they go for help? I'm, I, I'm working I mean, I'm, on that. You know what I'm thinking? Because I know you also have written two books. One. One book. Yeah. What's the title? Make Your Money Last a Lifetime. There you go. Yeah. And and it feels like like one of the things we've learned as we market ourselves on the web, and you have to be really careful about that, I know, because <laughs> you're in a, you know, you're in a, a controlled environment mm-hmm. um, or regulated environment is the right way to say it. You have to be compliant and all of that. So I, yes. I get all of that. But it feels like a service you could do to the younger members of the family as the family CFO is, right? Because that that mom and dad have got 20-something kids, Uh 20-something-year-old kids, right? If you were to write a book that was scheduled for, here's all the stuff you need to know before you can afford to come to work with me. Yeah. Like that might be, you probably know more about that than the average bear. I hope so. Well, I know you do. I, I mean, I already know you do. But that would be a really interesting talk about long-term planning. Yeah. You you plant the seed. Just like Bill said, I'll pay for your education. You're saying, I'll pay for your financial education and what you're going to do with your personal finances. Here's this book. And then do these things. And then when you've hit these milestones, come talk to me. Well, that's a, that's a good idea, Mark. And, and one thing I want to add, one of the great things that happened in the last 12 months for me, uh, one of which, of course, was getting married. Yes, congratulations. Thank you, yes. coming up on a year. And the other great thing that happened, or one of the other great things that has happened, is that my daughter, Olivia, came back to town and came to work for me. Uh, and so that leads me to think about your, your comment that here, she's 24, she'll be 25 next month, and who's she going to be working with 10 or 15 or 20 years from now. So I'm encouraging her to develop relationships. In fact, she's on the board of NABO, yep, sure. National Association of Women Business Owners, at age 24. I think that's I'm proud that's, of her. That's mm-hmm. very good. Um, and so we are making baby steps toward, toward that. It's not really our core uh, client base or avatar, I guess you'd call it. Um, we're more geared toward pre-retirees and retirees, but, but that's it's certainly a group that needs help. Long-term pipeline. Absolutely. Right? Yeah, so when absolutely. You're, when you, and so a book would help. Right, because one of the things that we've also learned is the what you need to do, like in any profession, if you're working with someone, what that person needs to do to be successful, mm-hmm. I believe that information should be free, at 100% free. It's a download, it's a book, it's a series of videos, it's whatever it is, it's 
free. Yeah. Here's how you do storytelling. Here's how you produce a TEDx. Here's how you do any of those things. Free, 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 free. How you do it, that's when your expertise comes in. That's when there is a fair exchange of value. Yeah. Like the, the what is free, the how, well, well, let's talk about how we can meet, help you meet your objectives, whatever that is. Because most people need a Sherpa. Yes. I completely agree. Showing people how to do it, but but it's not they. It's not that they want to do it themselves now. It's Correct. that they know that you know how to do it, and you're going to be able to help them. Yep, I think that's yep. what you're saying. Did that's your, exactly right. Yeah. Did your daughter Olivia? Did she? Um, was she always thinking to join the family business? No, she wanted no, to be an event she planner. Wasn't. An event planner. Yeah. Yeah. So she went to college. She got a degree in Where hotel. Where did she and work? Where did she work? She, she after college, she went to Disney uh-huh. in Orlando. Yeah. yeah. That was her dream. Sure. Yeah. And she had actually worked there for one semester, so she already had experience with it. And she went back to Orlando after college, and that was her first job. Yeah. Yeah. In in uh, hotel and restaurant management. And then how did? But how? So then how did that shift to say, you know, come back to the come back into our shop and and work. So she became um, somewhat disenchanted with that job over time. There's mm. a there's mm. a there's an egg timer on that. There's thing, an egg timer yeah. on that. And some people yeah. love it. Um, she just realized that this is long term. This is sure. this is not going to go where I want it to go. So she moved to Denver, Colorado, because literally all of her friends from college went to Denver. Mm-hmm. Uh, they all ended up in Denver. Roommates. They all were in Denver. So a, she good, a strong Denver. network is an important thing. Yeah. So she yeah. had that. Yeah. And she ended up working for the Marriott at uh, at a Marriott. I think it's called Tech Center. Um, I think that's when she was at, and she became the event planner, and she would have to do kind of everything everywhere, and she would she found that guests would call and yell at her because their microwave didn't work. Sure. You know, stuff like that. It was just a very tough the, the, job. The, yeah, the thought of what the job will be from the outside versus what the day-to-day grind of it. Exactly. So I wanna, But I want to hear about the conversation between the dad and the daughter mm-hmm. that says, this is not the field you'd anticipated getting into, but come come look at this field closer. How did that go? So forever, I have always offered to my daughters that anytime they want to come back and or anytime they want to go to work in the family business, I'd love to have them. I never said this is the best way and you're picking the wrong way and you shouldn't. I always supported them in whatever they wanted to do, but I always just made the offer open. And so after a year with uh, Marriott, I think what you should ask her, you should interview her. Yeah. But she uh, she realized that this this is... First of all, a tough job with weird hours. Mm-hmm. And secondly, it doesn't pay that well. Mm-hmm. And thirdly, it's not in Santa Barbara. Mm. So uh, she, she, she moved back. So it wasn't really one conversation as much as years of just saying, hey, I'd love to have you in the business. And you offered to pay for her education. Paid for most of her education. She's actually paid for a lot of it herself. She's done really well. I mean, I'm kind of call, oh, back, you, call back to Bill. Yeah, call back. Yeah, right, right. I didn't get her in that, uh, you know, junior year quite but, but I But you got her in that period of disillusionment. Yeah. Do you think do, do you think that there's there's a, something to be said for I mean cuz I've seen a lot of different parent strategies of saying um, especially coming in from the arts world where parents are totally freaked out about the concept of their child studying the arts and then being like how are they ever going to make a living? Mm-hmm. And and so you had to kind of like play that slow game of saying like I'm not going to over I'm not going to try to try to dictate this or try to like right. over over direct this. I have to like let it happen, and then hopefully she will get tired of 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 you know of fighting the good fight for a different corporation without having the freedoms that she imagined she would ha- she would have. So here's what I've observed 
and you too, I'm sure, more times than I can count, is the, the child says, I want to be an artist. And the parent says, that's, that's fine. Why don't you first get a real job? And then the, the child says, yeah, I'm not going to talk to you for the next five years. <laughs> right, right, right. And that's what happens. Yeah. And then eventually they come around. But, and I just, I've, I've seen that happen so many times. I thought, that doesn't work. I've mm. seen the, the one that you, the, the kind of the inverse of that, where you say, the, the parent says, um, you know what, go, go study the arts. Because that'll set you up for, you know, creative thinking. That'll set you up for problem solving in, in unusual situations. Uh, and then and then they try being an artist for a couple of years in the arts world. They realize that the practice of being an artist wasn't, again, what they imagined it would be. And they turn towards something that is ultimately very fulfilling for economic resources. Like I say, a lot of people going into the medical field after going to art school or uh, going into accounting even and, 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 you know, kind of admin work. And it's really great because then they're, they're, they've separated the thing that they love from the way that they pay their rent. And paying your rent is not fun all the time. And so so putting those two things in. We, we grew up with this this kind of myth being told to us that if you find the thing you love and you do it every day, you'll never work a day in your life. And it turns out that that's, that's a really kind of like, that's, a, that's kind of a messy, sticky thing because uh, you start to hate the thing that you loved. Because it's really difficult and, and, and sometimes you're getting yelled at by a lady in the middle of the night because her microwave's not working. Uh, and so it's really it's, it's interesting to hear the, the, the strategy of kind of saying, like, I'm going to I'm not going to try to, like, dictate this. I'm going to let it happen. And this is, of course, this is speaking as a father. Who's yeah, you're thinking about it. Yeah, sure, I'm sure, not sure. projecting. Like, <laughs> how, how should I do this? Give me yeah. Obi-Wan. Give me the wise yes. information. Yeah. I, it's, yeah. a, it's a little harsh, but I remember reading a bumper sticker years ago and it said, uh, it said, stupid people don't learn. Normal people learn from their own mistakes. Geniuses learn from the mistakes of others. Mm. And that's a little harsh. However, the message is that if you can sit back and watch what actually happens when people try these different strategies, then you say, ah, no, no, oh, that seemed to work out okay. And I, I've really tried to adopt that, where mm. I, especially in parenting, where I observe what actually works as opposed to what doesn't. Speaking and of, it seems to have worked. Yeah, speaking yeah. of parents and now the boomers are now largely grandparents. Um, we've got, I don't know, how many boomers are there out there? Lots. <laughs> well, there's 40 million in AARP, American Association of okay. Retired Persons, alone, and that's just one organization. So okay, it's so tens this, of millions. And they are, they're retiring at what rate? 10,000 per day. 10,000 are turning 65 per day, which is sort per of day. per day. Three and a half million per year. Which is why I get spammed incessantly, yes. right, from all of those people. <laughs> Everybody who has something to sell me, yeah, right? for sure. How has that affected your business? It's Well, it's been good for business in the sense that um, I mentioned earlier, we mostly work with pre-retirees and retirees. And so there are advisors who work on the accumulation side, meaning they help younger families, like we were talking about it earlier. You know, they need different, they have different needs, like they need term insurance so that the mortgage is covered should something happen to them. And they just all the they're looking more for high high powered growth. Whereas in retirement, pre-retirement and retirement, your needs shift not to just high powered growth, but more about risk management mm. and you being more of a steward and shepherd. And that's sustainable. Sustainable. And that's more the side that I have always been on, uh, but especially this last few years. And so this this demographic shift of 10,000 people retiring a day has been really good for my business because it allows me to do what I really love to do, which is the, the needs on um, the, we'll call it the decumulation side, are much more complex. <sighs> There's a word. Decumulation. decumulation. So it's a word for the day. 
yeah. and decumulate. Those needs are much more complex, and therefore I find them more interesting, mm-hmm. and they're more vital because a young person can recover from a bad mistake. They're durable. But yeah. somebody who's 72 does not want to go back to work. So I have to be really, really thoughtful and careful about what I do. I can't just sell them a product and move on. This is a long-term relationship, and their needs will change as their kids get married and then divorced or have children and grandchildren, or they move from this place to that place, and can they afford to you know, take this trip and live on this lifestyle, and when should they take Social Security? It's a big question. So I really enjoy that, and this, again, this dem- and that's a long answer to a short question. No, that's fine. This demographic shift has really benefited my business and, and given me a lot of fun things to do. So along that line, and we've, we've touched on this kind of throughout the whole thread of education, I know you go to a lot of conferences. Well, mm-hmm. I, I'll text you, and you're someplace studying yeah. something. Is that because this is the your field, but this area of this aspect of our lives, the financial as, aspect sphere, yeah, is is so dynamic, and things are changing so much that you, as someone who is the you know you're in charge, yeah, the continuing education. I'm going to say it's burden or opportunity, one way to look at it. But it's, it. How much time do you spend just studying to stay on top of it? Uh, I would. I spend an e- easily spend six weeks a year, just wow. just going to conferences and taking classes and so forth. And I would I would break it down maybe into um, three parts. And one is that I have all these various designations that require continuing education. So I have a licenses, certi- licenses or designations, yes. Got it. certified financial planner and series 65 and charter financial consultant. And I have an insurance license and all these things require continuing it. Yeah. The second piece I would say is technology is changing my industry so quickly that I need to be ahead of it. I need to know what's what's happening in technology. And the third is related, which is just just times are changing always and they seem to be changing rapid fire. And I need, I just need to stay on top of, you know, where the trends are going in finance and investment, the investment world. What new investments are available? Which ones should I give attention to, or which ones can I safely ignore? Like, just all those kinds of questions lead to all this continuing education. It feels like, um, I, I kind of measure everything back to the iPhone, <laughs> the arrival, right, sure, the, yeah. and and how it has dis massively disrupted and, and it's this the stand-in for technology yeah. right it's yeah. in our access to technology because yeah. before that there were only it, you, you had less access civilians if you will had less access now everyone does um, even just walking into the studio I noticed Patrick because this the area above us is just completely torn up in a yeah. revitalization and it, I must have walked in while everyone was on a break oh, because yeah. <laughs> every single person was not talking to one another. They were buried in the screen. Yeah, it's the new smoke break. Is that what? That's people talking about it being the new, <laughs> new smoke, smoke break. break. Yeah, is that, is that you, you go look at your phone for 10 minutes and then you come back in. Right. So it's changed everything. So staying yeah. on top of that. And you yeah. and I have talked about like what's, what's your role in all of that. 
Kevin, this has been really fascinating to, to kind of, we now have your story out there and we've got lots of new t-shirts for you to go print uh, with <laughs> what, what was it? Dis, di, uh, Disaccumulation. Disaccumulation. De- oh yeah, that's hashtag. Deaccumulation. Decumulation. 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 I heard this, I heard this uh, four-year-old at the playground the other day who was trying to use like nine syllable words. That was his, his dad was like, yeah, he's in nine syllable words. <laughs> I was just like, so decumulation is when snow melts. Oh, decumulation. Okay. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Right, because it accumulates and then it decumulates. decumulates. It's melting. Oh. So your finances are melting away. We don't, don't want say that. it that way. We don't want. <laughs> no, preserving oh. finances is the goal. Okay, I love it, Kevin. Thank you so much. Uh, our regular listener knows that it's at this time of the show where Uh-oh. we get to. Uh, oh, we get to name the show. Yeah. So I've already figured out what the quote for the show is. Oh, I can't I've got wait. That uh, you'll have to wait. Uh, but uh, you get to name the show. What are we calling this one? Call Kevin Burke. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. I, I think that's better call Sal. I think you're right there. I don't know why you would. That's as good as that's as good a good a title as I've ever heard. <laughs> call Kevin Burke. <laughs> Just like no, no, uh, nothing else about it. Call Kevin Burke. Just do it. He was waiting 45 minutes. It's a taste that question. <laughs> And so yeah, the second time around, guests know some stuff. Yeah, yeah, your family CFO, I'll add on there just yeah. so we, we get that. So, Kevin, thank you so much. I, I, I really appreciate our friendship. I appreciate seeing you at the Magic Castle Cabaret. Uh, our, our listeners are going to get used to hearing about that new place here yep. in Santa Barbara. We're we going love, tonight. We, you're going tonight? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Well, thank you so much. I also want to thank, thank California Lutheran University School of Management and Tolman and Weicker Insurance Services and our podcasting partner, Bullstring Press. Patrick, we're we're continuing to get people contact us about doing a show, doing a podcast. Yeah, uh, it is a. <laughs> I uh, if you if you haven't opened your podcast app lately, you're 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 going to be shocked, okay? Because everybody is emulating the daily. There's now multiple different networks that are that are producing a 15 minute morning news show. Oprah Winfrey has a show. If you want to know about. Uh, um, Kind of, kind of the the echelons that the that the podcast world has has entered, um, and in general, every single property out there, every major media property out there, from uh, the Daily Show to Stephen Colbert to Jimmy Fallon to the Morning News Network. There's even I was I was I popped on the app, and there was even a uh, a, a new show from a local news morning news team is running their own podcast where they're just essentially recovering what they've done uh, during the morning news broadcast. But the point being is that um, that should not make you think that the world is too full of podcasts, but instead it should inspire you to say, this is an active, growing, exciting place, much like YouTube in its early years. Um, it's a really vital place uh, to get your story out there, to get a really interesting uh, format to tell your story permanently on the record. So come talk to us because we are the ones who make podcasts and we're making new ones every day. Yep. And it's uh, it's a it's it's such a it's such a a generous platform to work through. People are curious when I have that conversation that I don't even know where to start. And it's real simple. It's five P's. Mm-hmm. What's the plan? How are you going to produce it? How are you going to publish it? How are you going to promote it? And who could you partner with? When you answer those five questions, which we're really good at helping people do, we'll get your show on the air. If you're interested in that, drop us a note, mark at 805connect.com. Love to have a conversation with you about it. Until next time, this is Mark Sylvester, your host for 805 Conversations.